Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And you know, let's let's listen to a second for this music that's uh, that's playing here. The ocean should the siren flag and the captain And before us grew the angry joys of a giant whale. That is, of course, uh, the Mariner's Revenge song uh, by the Decemberist, uh, just a little bit uh, from that track. And that's off the uh, the album uh, Picaresque. I highly recommend uh, everyone go uh, download the the full song, the full album or whatever after the podcast. But it's great because it deals with the idea of being eaten alive. Not only eaten alive, but swallowed alive, whole, by an enormous whale. Which I think at the end of the day is sort of a primal fear that we have. And the reason I think that is because there is so much literature, children's literature, that is concerned with this idea. And if you are a small child, you are also concerned with it, right? Because you know that to some extent you are defenseless. Well, yeah, and certainly a a small child is a more attractive snack to various uh, creatures that would otherwise uh, hesitate to prey on a human. Certainly anyone uh, anyone who uh, lives in Florida knows that the, the rules concerning alligators, that they are more likely to eat children whole, uh, as well as dogs and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, than they are going to eat a, a, a whole human whole. Uh, it's just a more attractive snack. Uh, and, and again, we, we, we get back to the, the primordial mindset of humans uh, that were not quite at the top of the food chain. There was the possibility things were going to eat them. Now, eaten whole, well, that's a totally different scenario and we'll discuss as, as this podcast rolls on but uh but yeah i could see you know definitely where that is it's a very primal uh fear it is a primal fear you see it in hansel and gretel you'll see it in little red riding hood um last well, year yeah. there were 500 german fairy tales that were unearthed from the 1800s and um they are very dark grim like actually oh, yes. in the same period uh, that Grimm wrote, the Grimm brothers. And one of the stories uh, that I think was really interesting uh, featured a tale of a maiden who escapes a witch by transforming herself into a pond. But then the witch comes and slurps her up, oh. and the girl has to use a knife to cut her way out of the witch. Oh. So it's a survival story, and that's what I think is is at the, the really the basis of this swallowed whole idea, that Death may be imminent, but maybe, just maybe, you could escape it if you were swallowed whole. That's interesting, uh, and, and certainly, it's, it's again, it's a trope that comes back again and again in our myths and our fictions. Obviously, there's the story of Jonah, who was ordered by God to go to the city of Nineveh. But Jonah, he was, uh, you know, he's a free thinker and, and a bit of a coward, so he decided to go a different direction and not do. Uh, what God told him. So God sent a storm to destroy his boat, and uh, just to make sure that the, the deed got done, also sent a whale or a giant fish, depending on your your reading, to swallow him whole. And then, of course, he he lives inside the whale for a little bit, thinks long and hard about what he's done, <laughs> and uh, eventually the whale frees him. Uh, and then in fiction, we've seen uh, various characters that either either wind up in the in the belly of a whale mm-hmm. or alive miraculously in the belly of another terrestrial creature or in an alien creature. Uh, you see, like there's Baron von Munchausen, there's Nephthalene, there's Pinocchio, there's Little Red Riding Hood, there's Isaac Clark, there's Boba Fett, there's Han Solo, there's John Voight in the belly of the uh, Anaconda. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many, so many great 
family moments of um, various characters uh, either almost uh, becoming uh, digested or or being partially digested or just kind of magically held in uh, the stomach of a creature and then eventually escaping. Generally, they escape either through the, uh, the, the way that they came in or out the stomach. Well, and then there's the flip side, uh, us as predators, right? We yes. have a bit of an obsession with that, or we have in our, our past cultural histories. And you had mentioned in the last podcast, um, Sideshow Carney's ingesting frogs whole as a trick, right, to, to show, to, mm-hmm. to freak out, really, the audience. And then that frog surviving because it can breathe through its skin, so it's got some oxygen along with that glass of water in the, in the Sideshow Carney's body, and it can then regurgitate it. Yes. All right. So that's just something that I think really uh, arrests our imagination. But turns out that something called stomach frogs and bosom snakes. And slugs. And slugs <laughs> were uh, a thing back in the day uh, along the late 18th century if you had a stray gastric symptom like, you know, flatulence mm-hmm. or... Um, or just a tummy ache. And yeah, you're like, oh, I must have stomach snakes. Lactose intolerance, before yeah. you could even identify uh, lactose intolerance, right? You would begin to suspect that you were harboring some sort of creature whole in your digestive system. And uh, people began to have these ideas like, well, you know, I was walking home and there was this pond and I was thirsty and I, I took a drink from mm-hmm. it. Surely I swallowed a frog unbeknownst to me or maybe some frog eggs. Yeah, or some hatched. snail eggs or something. And then it ends up hatching in you and then they're causing turmoil. And then in some cases there were reports where people would claim to have uh, um, pooped out uh, live creatures. And in some cases they would actually have them um uh, like in jars and whatnot, and it was it was quite a big uh, big idea in the in the time to the extent that it was creeping into actual medical medical literature of the yeah. time. Um, I did a, a blog post about this and about one of the physicians, a uh, New York uh, physician, who, who who actually experimented this by feeding force feeding some live slugs to a dog and then. Uh, peeking inside and having a little rummage around uh, via surgery to find mm-hmm. out if this if the slugs were intact. And, of course, the slugs were being broken Right, around. like the, the surgeon actually made a fistula in the dog's stomach, yes. right, to, to take a peer into the stomach. A.K.A. a hole in <laughs> the stomach uh, fistula, yeah. Yes. Yes, because a hole is a, is a great way to find out what's going on inside of something, uh, be it uh, a house or a dog's stomach or a cow's stomach or a human stomach. I mean, that's one of the ways we learn about what's going on in there. But uh, but in, in reality, of course, these individuals were not um, having slugs grow to maturity inside their their guts mm-hmm. and then crawling out their poop chute. No, they were <laughs> uh, they were you know probably they came home from the the lake or whatnot and they had maybe uh, there was a slug or a lizard attached to their swimsuit or their clothing. They found it in the vicinity of their bathroom or their their garments. They put one and two together with this strange stomach ache they had, and and then as we've talked about with any kind of like paranormal experience, mm-hmm. if the story is out there, if the storyline is established, it's easier to fall into it. So the first person in the world to think, "Oh my goodness, I bet I swallowed some slug eggs and I just pooped them all over the place." That person may have been a bit of a nut, but like the 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 sixth person, the the fiftieth person, the hundred and fiftieth person to come up with that, they had the pre-existing storyline to fall into. So it becomes less and less nutty. Yeah, and I was just thinking how that ties into some of the the pathos that we've seen with witchcraft, yes, or some of the myth making that that comes out of that. So, yes, uh, I fell asleep and an evil snake uh, crawled into or slithered its way into my esophagus, yes. into my bowels. That's an example. I didn't really think that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, but back to the idea of, of being swallowed whole. Um, it also, 
it also gets into this this idea of uh, of almost a desire and a comfort, uh, which I think is interesting too. Because on one hand, primal fear. Nobody really wants to be eaten alive. Nobody really certainly wants to be eaten whole and partially di- par- possibly digested. Um, but you, you do have apparently this thing called vorophilia, which I was not aware of until uh, I guess I was vaguely aware of it uh, via like the German cannibal trial where mm-hmm. you have one individual who was seeking, looking for that special someone who who might want to be eaten might want to be eaten and would have this desire to be eaten but then there's a whole side of it that uh, I discovered when I was researching the uh, the winged uh, devourer creatures from Beastmaster mm-hmm. the ones that wrap their capes yes. around people and melt them down really cool monsters um, check out the blog post on that if you want but uh, but I, I ended up finding that there there's like a whole section of the internet devoted to fantasies about them, about people, sometimes themselves, being eaten generally whole by some sort of monster or a monstrous person, and it's it's very it's very strange. Um, but but I, so I'm trying to wrap my head around it, like like what is it about that? And uh, and it never really made sense until I was reading this article that uh, that we're going to get into a little more uh, in, later on in the podcast by Ben Shattuck for Salon.com, uh, titled "Swallowed by a Whale: A True Tale?" Question mark. Where he says that he he, he says this. Uh, regarding being swallowed by a whale. He says, still, you'd like to think it's possible. You want to believe in an animal that can fit you inside them, that you might be consumed not piece by piece, mouthful by mouthful, as sharks and bears would eat you, but wholly, to be encased as your full self, womb-like. So returning to the womb. Yeah, it's kind of a, a return to the womb. It's kind of like It's kind of like the idea of being eaten alive, eaten whole by a monster. It's kind of like a big hug. Now that's one of the types of vorophilia. That's yes. the kind of the kinder, softer side of it. There are other types that aren't quite as. Yeah, uh, it's there's a whole. Like, it's the internet, so there's a yeah. whole uh, dark uh, corridor to vanish down if you so choose. But um, but I'm no, that's not that's to. not the reason why we wanted to take you here. We wanted to take you here because we do think that the core of this idea is this interest in like what about being swallowed whole? What about escaping death? What about returning to the womb, in a sense, as well? Yeah. And, and to what extent is it possible? To what yeah. extent has it actually happened? Uh, it's a fascinating, um, fascinating uh, area of discussion. And, of course, we have to turn to animals that actually swallow their prey alive and, and many times whole to actually get a bead on this subject. And that's the thing, because obviously when, when you or I eat things, we tend to chew. We tend to, uh, we've, we've just done an entire podcast about uh, about smelling our food, tasting our food, and then chewing it up and transforming the food into, uh, into a parcel that can be then sent through the rest of the digestive system. So there are various creatures that don't do as much chewing. There are creatures that don't do, you know, any chewing for the most part. But uh, when Cows we, on the opposite spectrum, by the way, yes. chew something like 60,000 chews a day. Yeah. And have like three hundred stomachs. Well, they've got the rumen in that. Yeah, I don't know. Them. I didn't. I didn't uh, research cows for this one, so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing like, three hundred stomachs. If you're thinking Hollis, what is the opposite of swallowing something whole? Is a cow? Yeah, the steady. Yeah, <laughs> steady digestion, chewing, and process uh, that goes on there. But uh, you look at some of these other creatures, like snakes, often consume prey whole. Though, don't get your hopes too high, because uh, pythons, for instance, kill before eating. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is an advantage to be had in killing something before you swallow it. Um, And if nothing else, it's just easier to... Maneuver, maneuver the creature, yeah. yeah. Take, uh, like, for instance, owls. Owls, uh, you know, they'll eat their prey um, whole, but they have these powerful beaks. And uh, it's 
I'm quite a challenge to get past that powerful killing beak uh, to make it down into the rest of the owl hole. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, crocodiles may swallow prey whole, but then they'll also chomp them up pretty good. I was looking at some rather um, horrifying photos of a uh, of, uh, supposedly... Again, you never know with the Internet. And certainly when you start looking into accounts of people being eaten by animals and being eaten whole, there's a whole world of hoax out there that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. But uh, I saw some, some photographs supposedly of a crocodile's uh, stomach, a Nile crocodile, uh, which do eat humans uh, on a fairly regular basis. And they'd cut it open, and there were some pieces of, uh, of what appeared to be human there. Mm-hmm. And it was not in one piece. Sharks, obviously, uh, as Mary Rhodes points out uh, in her book, uh, Gulp, they can and do eat like three turtles at once, it's possible, but they're also pretty famous for their smiles, and they're not above, in fact, they, they, they seem to relish chewing up uh, their food to some extent before it goes down uh, the hole. But then there is the the big one, the one that, uh, of course, is mentioned in the December song at the start of this podcast, and the one that we're going to spend the most time with, and that is the idea of the whale. This is, after all, this mm-hmm. is a creature that uh, supposedly uh, swallowed both Noah and Pinocchio. So it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Especially when you consider the, the kind of food that are found in well, whales' bellies. I mean, it's, it's basically like a fish market in a belly when you cut these guys open. Yeah, specifically um, uh, the sperm whale is the big one here because the sperm whale is eating fairly large prey. If we're talking uh, man-sized squid, we're talking sharks, we're talking you know, bucket loads of fish. Coconuts, what have you, showing up <laughs> in their stomach. And certainly the sperm whale exists on a scale that dwarfs uh, a human. We're talking uh, like a, a male uh, sperm whale may weigh up to 45 tons. Mm-hmm. That's uh, 40,823 kilograms. And uh, it may be 52 feet or 16 meters long. I mean, it's just a scale of a living creature. That, that dwarfs us so enormously, like the idea of being consumed by it whole is even more powerful. Well, you know, especially when you, when you consider like, you know, 16 of us could just hang out in the mouth. Yes. You know, side by side, waving at each other. Um, and also, if you consider that in 1955, a 405-pound squid measuring 6'6", six, 6 six foot 6 inches, minus the tentacles, was recovered intact from a sperm whale. Yes. Because so you look at that and you say, "Wow, like this couldn't you just have a human in there?" Yeah, because here's the thing with the uh, with the with the sperm whale as in evidence by the um, by that large squid hole in its uh, stomach. They feed by suction a lot of the times. So yeah. They're sucking the food down. Now, they do have some jaws as well. Uh, we're talking uh, uh, 20 to 26 banana-shaped teeth on the lower jaw uh, that fit into sockets in the upper jaw and uh, and these things are used to chew some stuff up. They don't always don't chew them. They don't always chew them up. Yeah. And uh, you have to consider, too, that the squid is a boneless creature, right? So yes. it's a lot easier to swallow. Yeah, the only thing being the beak. Which yeah. we'll get to, yeah, which we'll is really to. interesting. Um, so, yeah, let's get into this territory of what if. What, could you be swallowed by a whale? What would uh, the conditions have to be in order for you to survive? Uh, is it a myth or is it possible? Yes, then this is this is uh, this topic has been explored uh, both by Mary Roach in her book Gulp, but also in this uh, excellent Salon article uh, by Ben Shattuck, uh, "Swallowed by a Whale: A True Tale?" Question mark. And so there have been a lot of stories over the years uh, about people being swallowed by a whale, particularly out of the uh, the, the period in um, in uh, particularly American history where uh, whaling was big medicine, because this is where. I mean, even looking back on it, you can say if there's a potential for this animal to 
swallow a human whole. This is it. Because, as we mentioned, uh, the, the sperm whale is not really interested in eating um you know, hairless apes like ourselves as they uh, fall off of ships. Uh, it's concerned with uh, with eating deep and eating squid, eating uh, sharks and what have you. We're not their food. But if you put you have an environment here where humans are actively hunting down sperm whales right. uh, and trying to kill them, and then the, the whale retaliates. is retaliating is, and is no slouch, is quite a deadly creature uh, in, in uh, these encounters. Uh, so you end up with these Im- these encounters like you see and read about in Moby Dick, like mm-hmm. you see in a, a thousand different whaling um, illustrations where you have men in boats uh, just battling the, the, the sperm whale, and you see people just falling all over the place, falling into the open mouths of, of whales. Well, you also have whales who are breaching the water and then you know chomping down on the hull of a ship. Yes. Okay, so this is a possible and this, this has happened. But, of course, when you get these accounts and let's say that you have an unlucky crew member who happens to be right there at that time, that person is going to fall into the mouth, right, or, or be part of just the wreckage. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe they escape the mouth and they tell tale of it. But being in uh, a whale's mouth is very different than being in a whale's gut. Yes. Now, uh, one of the more amusing uh, stories, and this is bogus, uh, by the way, but it, it made the, the rounds pretty big uh, for, for a brief period, is the, the, uh, the Star of the East. This uh, vessel was supposedly sailing around the Falkland Islands, and uh, you know some, some bad stuff happens, and someone ends up uh, falling into a whale's mouth, a sperm whale's mouth, and, uh, and ends up in the stomach. And then, it, then escapes the stomach, is eventually spit, spat out, and his, his skin is bleached white. <laughs> from the the stomach acids, and he's uh, he's somewhat horrified and shaken, as you might imagine. But he lives, and and everyone goes gaga over the story. But then it comes out that it was just it was made up. It was a hoax uh, perpetrated by uh, some whalers. Well, and one of the reasons why we know it was a hoax is because the fore stomach does not have gastric juices lolling about it, or rather, there's some question about what to what degree there would be stomach acids. So this idea that he would be ejected from it, uh, bleached, is is pretty erroneous. Well, on that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, more of this adventure inside of the whale's stomach. Again, we're talking about the idea, can a, can a sperm whale swallow a human whole? Can it swallow a man whole? If it was going to happen, it was going to happen during the heyday of whaling, mm-hmm. when you had men battling sperm whales to the death. Uh, out in the middle of the ocean, as all the art illustrates, you have people falling into their mouths, falling into the water around them with this giant jaw thrashing about. Well, in uh, in his article uh, for Salon, Ben Shattuck, uh, he actually visited the New Bedford Whaling Museum Research Library. And he was looking into all these accounts of whale deaths, uh, situations where crew members died because of a whale. And a lot of these were caused by whale-on-boat ash action, or especially the thrashing of the of the giant's flukes, uh, the, the, the tail fins as they thrash out of the water. We've all seen pictures of the of the tail of the whale coming out of the water, and it's uh, and this is a an enormous thing. Again, these are the, these things weigh tons. These are behemoths. These are well, more to the point, these are leviathans, and uh, and they can and do crush boats when they're in close proximity to them when they're breaching the water. 
Well, of course, you have the cartoons, too, of people being swallowed whole and then being ejected out of the blowhole. Oh, yeah. So, you know, this idea of, of just being uh, sent through the digestive system of the whale is, is pretty deeply entrenched in our cultural fabric. Yeah, and then some people were chomped by these uh, by, by the jaw. Again, the jaw is moving around. The jaw does have teeth. And there's some pretty uh, gruesome accounts of this. So one particular, um, Edmund Gardner. And I'll try to include, uh, or I'll, I'll try to put a, a photograph of uh, this up on the uh, the website when this episode airs, because there's a there's a fairly famous photo of him, and he's sitting there in his black and white photo. You know, he's sitting there in his chair posing, uh, and you can clearly see that one of his hands is just a stump, uh, like a just a, a mangled stump with no fingers on it, mm-hmm. and that uh, is due to uh, whale bite. Uh, he fell in uh, and uh, nearly died. Yeah, and again, you know, these stories get circulated as being swallowed by the sail. And yeah. what we're talking about here is semantics, because if someone were to be in the mouth, yes, they could escape from the mouth, uh, hopefully with their lives intact, uh, but not, again, be digested. And that's where you see this idea being taken for granted. Like, you could be swallowed by a whale. Yeah, and again, it comes back to this idea that it is such a compelling story. It's such a compelling idea. I was swallowed whole, and then I was... In a way, the you know, I returned to the womb, and then I was born again out of the whale's stomach, out of the <laughs> shark's stomach. Baptized by a whale. Yeah. Because yeah. we both ran across this one story as we were researching this. We're, you know, of course, we're doing all these Google searches and, and, uh, and uh, you know, academic article searches for swallowed alive mm-hmm. by and then throwing in shark and whale and muskrat or whatever we happen to be looking for. And, uh, and there was a, a story from a couple years back, I think, um, that made the rounds. I want to say in the Telegraph or one of the mm-hmm. the major uh, British um, Guardian. Guardian, perhaps. I think. And uh, in the headline was something to the effect of "Man partially swallowed whole by shark," uh, which, which uh, it was. You know, they they at least knew better than to say in the headline that he was swallowed whole because the whole story was he was in he was sort of partially in a shark's mouth for a little bit, being chomped on, and then he escaped. And not to discount that, that's a miraculous story. Like, that is the kind of thing where you, that incident defines your life um, for the duration. I was in a shark's mouth and I didn't die completely. Um, but they had to, they felt like they had to dress it up and at least tease the possibility that he was swallowed whole. Well, and uh, what I love about Ben Shattuck's article in Salon is that he takes on uh, not just the research of like, you know, is this plausible, but this, uh, the imaginary realm of like, what would this look like if it actually happened? If yeah. circumstances were perfect and you somehow were able to get past those, those gnashing teeth, right? And somehow you didn't asphyxiate, you know, with a lack of oxygen as you traveled into the belly, what would it look like if well, you were in the four stomach? Drawing on his article in Salon, drawing a little bit on, on Mary Roach's book Gulp, mm-hmm. um, which is, again is excellent and everyone should pick that up, and also drawing on a little outside research and our own imaginations. Uh, let's go through that journey. Let's let's imagine being consumed by a whale. Now, the first thing, of course, is we have to think about those teeth again. We have to get past those teeth without uh, having any of ourselves uh, torn away. Mm-hmm. And then we have to be sucked down that uh, esophagus, which in Shattuck's article, he uh, he describes this way. He says, imagine a black and mucus-smothered tube sock slipping over you. As I you, love that. You're sucked yeah. down into uh, the... Uh, the, the holding bag. The holding bag, the forestomach of the sperm whale. That's right. We're talking about seven feet long by three feet wide, shaped like a big egg. 
he says that there would be lots of other things in there. He yes. would likely be joined by squid, but a coconut or shark might come too. Most squid that sperm whales swallow are bioluminescent. The neon flying squid is a favorite. So in no time at all, you'd be bathing in a pool of, of phosphorescence, a slew of green-yellow light winking around you like you were standing in a field in Maine come July when all the fireflies are sparking up. The rest would be black, very black. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. And it's, uh, first of all, it brings to mind uh, something that Mary Roach mentioned in her book, uh, The Blanket Effect. She's talking about some uh, experiments to see um, whether um, worms can eat their way out of the belly of, uh, say, a lizard or a frog or, or a snake that has consumed it. And they talk about the blanket effect where the animal is, so, is, is again, kind of hugged by being swallowed alive mm-hmm. and kind of goes into a comatose state. Um, so and, and so I can't help but think of, like, the hug machine uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and just the feeling of the cozy feeling of being wrapped up in a blanket, um, except, of course, this would be a, a mucus-covered uh, uh, um, stomach that is holding you. With uh, some serious contraction strength. Yeah. I think, but uh, unlike the, uh, like the scene in Pinocchio, it wouldn't be this vast chamber that is more or less the size of the whale in which you could set up shop on a little you know, floating dinghy, have a tent, and cook food, and have conversations, <laughs> or strangle um, a, 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 you know, a, a, a hated enemy to death uh, inside the belly of the like whale. Like in the December song. Yes, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get to that part in a bit. But um, the, the interesting thing about the four stomach is that there's, there's no acid present, mm-hmm. present or that's the, the predominant uh, theory uh, right now. So I, I was looking around in a number of websites that are really into the idea of Jonah and the whale mm-hmm. uh, really latched onto this idea because I mean I, I I love the story of Jonah and the whale it's one of the you know the great stories to come out of uh, Judeo Christian uh, beliefs uh, but as always there uh, there are some people who want to have a very literal interpretation of these uh, these iconic tales and so they they look for ways that science and religion can line up. And so uh, we found this fabulous uh, diagram of a uh, sperm whale's uh, stomach that shows all the, the, the different layers, the fore stomach, the main stomach, uh, etc. And then you see the icon, the outline, the silhouette of a little boy in prayer in the fore stomach to show this is where Jonah wound up. This is where he, he hung out and prayed, for, prayed to God. And then God eventually said, all right, you're, you're all right, Jonah, you can, you can go free. And then he's uh, he spat out of the whale. Um, which, you know, is certainly if there's a place that you're going to remain whole inside of a, a sperm whale and, uh, and have a long, hard, uh, you know, think about what you've done, like that's where it's going to happen. But as Mary Roach points out in Gulp, um, there's going to be a lot of stuff competing for your attention there, and uh, it's going to be pretty gruesome. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it is a large area, and it does seem to be devoid of gastric juices, but you would be smashed. Yeah. Because if you look at this diagram, you see that there, that little holding tank to that four stomach has a tiny little tunnel leading to the other stomach chambers. Yeah, so well, something's going to go happen. Right. If you're going to go through that, that uh, tunnel to those mm-hmm. other ones, you're going to get smashed to pieces. Now, uh, Mary Roach had said she couldn't figure out what the stomach pressure of those contractions would be in a sperm whale, but she did have information from French natural naturalist René Remure, and he conducted an experiment on a small raptor, and he found that the only material that emerged from the from the gizzard, uncrushed, 
was lead tubes that could withstand 500 pounds of pressure. So this gives you an idea of the contraction strength in a small raptor, but what about in a sperm whale, yeah, which is much larger, and swallowing things whole and having to really use a ton of pressure to get through that tiny, tiny little tunnel to the other chambers. Yeah, because the, mu- yeah, the muscular walls inside that four stomach, three inches thick. This is that you are you are inside the crush zone. It is it you just because the whale didn't chew you with its uh, teeth. Uh, don't uh, don't get excited because you're about to be chewed with the four stomach. The four stomach is going to ground you up into small enough pieces that can pass into the main stomach. You know this would make for a great haunted house. Yeah, these these little chambers of digestion, don't you think? It would. It gets uh, it, you know. It, you, it gets pretty bad pretty quick. So uh, obviously, if you're going to pass from the fore stomach to the main stomach, um, you are not going to be alive for the main stomach. Uh, assuming you miraculously uh, made it to the fore stomach, then you, it's just going to be a slurry and chunks mm-hmm. that make it to the main. So in the main stomach, this is where the acid comes into play. This is where stuff will be broken down even more into uh, into a dissolving mess. This is where you're going to have more and more enzymes and more and more liquefaction of your former body. Yeah, this this is where Shattuck, in his description of of um, trying to survive being swallowed whole, sort of seeds to well, this is the part where you become liquid goo. In his explanation, he says that. Um, Liquidated, you would ooze into the intestine and eventually leave the whale as excrement, floating out of the anus and into the cold, deep ocean, dissolving still further until you had become so small as debris that you were indistinguishable from the ocean itself. You would lap against whaling ships looking for whales. Which is which is really the most beautiful description of uh, man-to-whale-poop transformation I've ever read. Now, uh, now, of course, there are things that do not digest entirely inside of a sperm whale's digestion system. Uh, in the same way, uh, there are things that don't di- that uh, don't digest uh, completely in our own systems. Uh, one of which is the uh, the beak of the squid. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of these giant squid gulps them down, sucks them down whole in some cases, but uh, but that beak doesn't really go away all that easily. No, and what it does is it passes through the whale's intestines wholly, other bones too, right, mm-hmm. of, of other creatures. And along the way, it scrapes the intestinal lining, creating scar tissue, which is then passed in a new form called ambergris. Yes, and this is the precious commodity that is, uh, that is uh, often uh, sought after by, um, by perfumists. Yeah, it is the precious, actually. Uh, and that is because it is about $1,600 per pound to purchase and use in perfume. And it turns out that Egyptians burned it as incense. So the idea here that Shattuck puts forth is that, okay, sure, you, now you've passed through the digestive system and your bones are helping to create, uh, you know, one of the, the most beautiful smells on earth <laughs> in the form of this ambergris. And that wouldn't be too bad. At least there's a silver lining, right, to uh, to your 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 crushing death inside the fore stomach, and then your uh, continued digestion in the main stomach and beyond. Yeah, you've contributed to Chinate. That's a joke for anybody who knows perfume. Uh, probably Chanel Number no. Five or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, something along those lines. Um, but you know that that uh, Ambergris also joins the the. Uh, cat civet, right? The gland, the anal glands of the cat civet, which is also used in perfume. So there you go. Yeah, out of out of darkness comes light. 
Always, yeah. always. Um, all right, so I have a question for you. Yes. Would you rather be swallowed whole by, you're going to ease this, I think, a vulture, a human, or a penguin? Well, um, these would have to be pretty big penguins, and they would have to be <laughs> pretty big yeah, well, Okay, imagine that you either shrink yourself down or the penguin just Okay, I'll, I've been miniaturized. Okay. okay, we miniaturize you. And, uh, and I'm going to be eaten whole by one of these creatures. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'm from, uh, well, from reading Mary Roach's book, I know that the penguin is supposedly the preferred um, method of yes. death here. Bingo. Because it's kind of like uh, cryonic suspension down there. Yes, that's, that's, a, that's a great description of it, because penguins have to travel a long distance back to feed their, their young. They essentially use their stomachs as a freezer to mm-hmm. transport it. So they lower the, the temperature in their stomachs, and uh, this, this ceases digestion. Well, as long as I have a way to cease my need for breath, I guess I'm good. Because that's another big thing that most of these, uh, most True. of our dreams and nightmares of, of whole consumption by uh, some sort of enormous predator forget, is that uh, we do have to breathe, and, uh, and we, we need our air. And how are we going to get it inside the belly of a monster? We mentioned the, the frogs earlier, like the, the old carny trick of you swallow a frog along with a bunch of water, mm-hmm. and then within a very short period of time, you know, in other words, the, the amount of time between you swallowing the frog and then spitting them up during your carnival act, the frog is able to live inside your stomach because the frog, uh, pretty durable to begin with, uh, is co- coated in protective slime and also breathes through its skin. Mm-hmm. Can and absorb the oxygen. And absorb the oxygen from the water. Mm-hmm. But, but you and I, we cannot do that. Uh, so we would kind of be up a creek uh, inside the belly of just about anything, be it... Uh, uh, the chilly guts of a penguin mm-hmm. or the uh, the phosphorescent uh, crushing beauty of uh, the uh, sperm whale's fore stomach. It's true. It's yeah. not a feat to try, actually. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's close out our discussion of sperm whales with just a little more from uh, the Mariner's Revenge song uh, by the Decemberist off the album Piggeresque. Don't know how I survived. The crew always chewed alive. I must have slipped between his teeth. But oh, what providence, what divine intelligence That you should survive as well as me It gives my eye great joy to see your eyes go with the earth So lean in close and I will whisper the last words you'll hear And I love how in that song he he does mention uh, that he that he had to get past the teeth, like that most of the uh, the sailors were were crushed up or didn't make it that far, but only two of them actually wound up in the belly of the whale. I you know this is a song that I love to read the lyrics um, mm-hmm. better than I actually like to listen to the song. Yeah. And the song is wonderful, and, and actually I think you should put headphones on, listen to it. Um, it's a it's an epic length song, but. It is such a good story. It's such a. It seems like such a, a nautical tale brought to life by the Decemberists. Yeah, I mean, because it begins. It's a story told by one man to another inside the belly of a whale, with secret identities in play. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and long-standing, uh, um, you know, vengeance uh, in the works. It's it's. Great it's stuff. got all the cliches in it, and it's told in such a fresh way that anyway, I, I love it every time I take a gander at it. Yeah, or listen. All right. Well, on that note, let's uh, let's call the robot over here and just do uh, just a quick, you know, one or two listener mail. Bring no more to me, robot. Just one or two. 
All right, here's a little bit of listener mail um, coming to us from Stephanie. And uh, this is uh, cool because this one is uh, about our episode about regurgitation. So it kind of ties into what we're talking about here. She says, hi, Julian Robert. I have to say, as everyone does, I absolutely love the podcast. You guys get me through night after night of mindless sweeping and mopping at the kennel I work at. I'm writing in response to the regurgitation celebration podcast. I love that you guys mentioned vultures because I have a soft spot in my heart for these amazing creatures. I did an internship slash volunteered at a nonprofit raptor rehabilitation and education center for three years, and they had two turkey vultures that were unreleasable due to injuries. You know, this is, of course, often the case. They'll have their, their wings don't work anymore. They mm-hmm. can't really live their lives in the natural world anymore, but they can be a part of, uh, you know, they, they can live here peacefully and they can be part of an educational uh, uh, an opportunity. Um, she continues, uh, while one of them got uh, used to me coming in and cleaning every day, the other, named Dante, which I also like, <laughs> of course, did not. Every day, no matter how gently and quietly I tried to enter the enclosure, Dante's reaction was to hawk up a nice steaming pile of vomit. I must say, even after three years and a whole mess of repulsive odors, there is still nothing I've encountered quite as repulsive as vulture puke. If I were a predator and had vulture vomit land anywhere near me, I would definitely hightail it out of there ASAP. Just as you said, Robert, it really is a magnificent defense mechanism. And while most uh, may disagree, I find them absolutely beautiful. I would fully support a podcast or two about the amazing behaviors or adaptations in the raptor world, uh, like uh, the awesome vulture, though not really a bird of prey. Uh, Keep doing the fascinating podcast you guys do. Uh, Fondest regards, Stephanie from Connecticut. I love that. First-hand account of vulture vomit right there. Yeah. Indeed, that's a, that's a great uh, that's a great little story there, and uh, and yeah, there are a lot of fascinating raptors out there. I don't know if I've talked much recently, but uh, I do love the Lammergeier. The Lammergeier is probably my one of my favorite. Uh, you haven't talked birds. recently, yeah. The, of this this is the one that uh, drops bones from high altitudes under rocks. All right, well there you have it. Uh, if you have any thoughts you would like to share with us about uh, regurgitation, about vultures, uh, about lammergeiers, or more to the point about sperm whales eating humans alive, about any other animal eating people alive, uh, people being swallowed whole, um, you're looking at me kind of concerned. Uh, no, it, I was going to say, but not people eating people. Right, no. Right. We're not, that's, that's a totally different podcast. That would be incriminating. So yes. Please don't send yes. us anything. None of that. But okay. certainly any stories of, of monsters eating people whole. I mean, it's, uh, that we, that we should mention in pop culture and fiction and myth, uh, et cetera. We'd love to share that with everyone. If you have thoughts on the, the, the sperm whale, uh, journey that we have presented with you here, uh, let us know about that as well. Where can you find us? Well, there are a lot of places uh, these days. Uh, first and foremost, StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That is the mothership uh, for everything we're doing these days. You can find the podcast there. You can find uh, the video episodes there. You can find our blog posts. You can find pictures of us. You, you, you name it, it's there. But you can also find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on Tumblr. We are StuffToBlowYourMind on both of those. Uh, we have a Twitter account, of course, where our handle is BlowTheMind. And, uh, hey, if you go to YouTube you, and you look up Mind Stuff Show. That is where all of our videos are. So, That's right. Check it out. Check it out. And you can always drop us a line at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 